ETF Prime is hosted by Nate Geracine, president of investment advisory firm, the ETF Store. This program is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Investing in ETFs involves risk, including potential loss of principal. Any past performance figures discussed are not necessarily indicative of future results. The ETF store is not affiliated with Vetify or any of its affiliates. Vetify's participation in this program should not be construed as an endorsement or indication by Vetify of the value of any ETF store product or service. Visit ETFstore.com for more information. And now a word from iShares. The shift to a low-carbon economy is changing the way people invest iShares Sustainable ETFs help you position your portfolio to manage sustainability-related opportunities and risks, such as climate change. Get your share of progress at iShares.com sustainable. Visit iShares.com to view a prospectus which includes investment objectives, risks, fees, expenses, and other information that you should read and consider carefully before investing. Risk includes principal loss. There is no guarantee any fund will exhibit positive or favorable sustainability characteristics. Prepared by BlackRock Investments, LLC. Now it's time for ETF Prime, where we discuss everything you need to know about exchange-traded funds and the world of investing. Whether you're an investing expert or just starting out, Nate will help you get up to date with what's happening on Wall Street and show you how exchange-traded funds can help lower your investment costs, reduce your tax bill, and allow you to take advantage of investment opportunities around the world. And now, the host of ETF Prime, Nate Geraci. All right, this week it's an abbreviated summertime edition of ETF Prime. I'm trying to downshift a little bit this week, take some time off. We're in the dog days of summer, and of course things will start ramping back up here in a few weeks with kids going back to school and everyone really locking back in at work and all of that. So I thought this was the perfect time to take a little break. However, I still have a very nice podcast for you this week, even if it's a bit shortened. This is going to be fun. Joining me will be Todd Rosenbluth, head of research at Vetify, who most listeners know Todd is absolutely in the pantheon of uh, ETF nerds. He covers the ETF space as well as anyone, anywhere. And we are literally going to go around the entire world of ETFs. We're going to talk ETF flows, the biggest ETF story so far this year, uh, Todd's favorite new ETF launches best new ETF issuer. I've got a bunch of topics that I think uh, you'll really enjoy. We'll also get into uh, a few ETF filings, so ETFs in the hopper with the SEC, and then we'll close by finding out what Todd will be watching for in the second half of the year. What's on his ETF radar? Again, we're literally going to try and cover it all, so sit back and relax. Maybe grab a nice cold beer like I certainly will later today and enjoy our conversation. Now we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time. $800 billion, I think we have to say that again, $800 billion and counting for an industry that is, is still growing in size is impressive. Todd, you are the star of the show this week. Now don't let me down. I, I hope you brought your uh, A-game. I hope I brought it, but and yeah, I owe you a beer. It's too early uh, <laughs> East Coast, and I think Central time for you to, for us to be having a beer. But yeah, I'll have one later today, and think of you and the listeners as they hopefully enjoy the show. 
All right, so here's what I thought we would do. Let's start with a very quick recap of year-to-date ETF flows. And then, as I noted, we're going to get into all kinds of fun stuff. And as I was looking at flows this morning, I show about $325 billion into ETF so far this year, which I said this a couple of weeks ago, Todd. I think that's a highly impressive number given how bad the financial markets have been. I, I mean, I know we're not tracking on last year's record pace, but given what we've seen out of stocks and bonds and, and really most other asset classes, I, I think you have to be impressed. So with, with that backdrop, what stood out to you on uh, ETF flow so far this year? Well, maybe I can just take a, a, a stay where you were for a moment and just let's, let's level set. We're on pace for over $600 billion of net inflows in a year. Uh, that would be the second highest cash haul ever. And you, as you noted, the backdrop of it is U.S. stocks are in a bear market. It's the worst half, first half for the Bloomberg Ag in its history. In its history, uh, the dollar strength has significantly hurt the returns of most international ETFs. And yet this would be an impressive year if we didn't just come off of the record-setting year beforehand. Uh, I what jumps out to me, I think we're going to talk about some of the uh, other funds in the, uh, you have on your radar, but the fact that Vanguard 500 of VOO and iShares S&P 500 IVV have pulled in $28 billion and $15 billion respectively in a year when the S&P 500 was down more than 20%, it's down about 16%. It's just impressive to me. Just for perspective, those two ETFs had, so Vanguard had 500, had $31 billion, and iShares 500 IVV had $15 billion in, at the same point last year, and we were not in a bear market at all. So that's really what's jumping out to me, is that investors, advisors continue to use ETFs as their vehicle of choice. And you know, we've seen this movie before, right? You go back to the financial crisis back 2008, 2009, you go back to the fourth quarter of 2018 when the Fed started hiking rates and we saw stocks drop 20% or so into uh, the, the holiday season. You look at the COVID crash in 2020. If you go back and look at those three examples in particular, following each of those, we saw flows into ETFs accelerate. And I, I don't think it's any surprise as impressive as it is, I don't think it's any surprise that we're seeing that happen again, because I, I think investors look, if they're not in the ETF investment vehicle, maybe they're in, uh, say, actively managed mutual funds or some other investment structure. Perhaps they've had underperformance. Uh, they have higher fees. And when the market drops like this, especially if you're in a taxable account and, and maybe you had some capital gains, this offers you the ability to switch out of those vehicles into ETFs. And I, again, I think that's what we're seeing here this year. Yeah, exactly. And I think what, what's different this time around is that trend that you cited has happened historically with equity mutual funds. During uh, volatility, investors rotate to the cheaper, uh, in, often index-based alternative uh, of an equity ETF. But this year, we or not even going back to this year, we are now uh, seven straight months of net outflows for bond mutual funds. That doesn't happen. Um and it, it does, certainly doesn't happen in the period of time when bond ETFs have pulled in over $100 billion of net new money. So we're seeing the market share shift occur not only for equity products, but for fixed income products towards ETFs. 
and the the ETFs that are that are at the top of the leaderboard this year probably might surprise folks as to where we're seeing the action. Okay, so I'm really glad that you brought that up because I was looking at the top 10 ETFs in terms of inflows this year, and uh, fixed income absolutely jumped off the list at me. But let me go through this entire list, if you'll bear with me. And there's a couple others that jumped out at me, which we can get into if you want. So the the top two are the ones that you noted, uh, the Vanguard S&P 500 ETF, VOO, that's number one, over $28 billion uh, in inflows this year. The iShares Core S&P 500 ETF, IVV, that's number two. And then two other Vanguard ETFs are three and four. So the Vanguard Total Stock Market ETF, ticker VTI, number three. The Vanguard Value ETF, ticker VTV, that's number four on the list. Then you have the ProShares Ultra QQQ, TQQQ, uh, interesting one, of course, with uh, with uh, the, the NASDAQ jumping all around. You have some people trying to play the volatility there. Number six is the Schwab U.S. Dividend Equity ETF, ticker SEHD. And then those fixed income uh, ETFs I was noting, Todd, l- l- listen to this. So TLT is number seven on the list, the iShares 20-plus year Treasury Bond ETF. Then you have the iShares Short Treasury Bond ETF, ticker SCHV, the iShares 1-3 to three Year Treasury Bond ETF, ticker SHY, and then number 10 is the iShares U.S. Treasury Bond ETF, uh, ticker government, great ticker, GOVT. And, y- you know, you-, you think about what's happened in the bond market. You were noting the, the Bloomberg Ag, worst start uh, to-, to the year ever. We know rates have popped. And as I look at that list, the shorter duration stuff makes sense. But are you surprised to see the inflows into something like TLT or even the the GOVT, which is playing uh, treasuries across the yield curve? Does that surprise you at all? It, it, it does. I think it, it shows that investors and advisors are using all the tools within their fixed income toolbox, whether they are confident that the Fed is going to be ag- aggressive in raising interest rates or they're not as confident they think that we're not going to see the same level of, of hikes that we're going to see this week uh, continue. But I want to, and perhaps we can raise a glass uh, later uh, for it, but TLT, which was one of the two ETFs that launched 20 years ago last Friday. So it is the, the oldest of those bond ETFs, 20 years old, uh, and it's continued along with LQD, that's the investment grade corporate bond ETF, they continue to set the stage for industry growth and the fixed income development that we've seen. But I pulled some, I wrote a piece uh, celebrating the 20th anniversary on Vetify's platform earlier this week. Uh, and in that, I noted some stats that I, I figured, even though I'd love the audience to go to ETFtrends.com and read the article, this was just interesting to, or very interesting to me, that the secondary trading volumes across Treasury ETFs have increased by nearly 50%. In the first half of 2022, it, for nominal treasury bonds, the, the daily volume is up only 3%. Mm. That's using Bloomberg and SIFMA data. So ETFs are getting the, the flow, the action, and iShares in particular has more than 70% of that secondary market trading volume. So they were the first. They continue to be the dominant player within treasury bond ETFs. By the way, on the topic of fixed income flows, I should note that Number 11 on the list, at least as of this morning, is the Vanguard Total Bond Market ETF, ticker B&D. And another piece that I I saw you recently wrote highlighted that this thing is set to surpass the iShares Core Aggregate Bond ETF, AGG, as the new bond ETF king, the largest bond ETF. 
Did, did that just happen? I was trying to look at the uh, the asset levels today. Ha- has it officially passed AGG yet or no? So the data that I have, I don't have up-to-date data yet uh, for through Monday, but through Friday, BND had $81.5 billion, according to what we show on our Vetify platform, and AGG had $81.8 billion. Uh, so the gap is, is narrowed. When I wrote the piece, I wrote a piece, uh, again, on ETFtrends.com last week. It was about $400 million. It's now about $300 million. Uh, the gap is certainly narrowing. Now, AGG is still widely used by institutional investors. It is the more liquid of those two products, but BND has been gaining market share. And one of the reasons we think is, it's again, hard to document exactly where money's coming from and, and how, but as, as you and the listeners probably know, you can take a Vanguard total bond index, a bond market index, mutual fund share class, and convert that in at some point during the year into the ETF version of it. It's now two basis points less. The ETF is cheaper than its mutual fund sibling, and we've seen some investors that are doing that, that are just really moving from one product to the other, still within the Vanguard family. But it is notable and impressive that BND, by the time people may be listening to this, could be the, the largest individual bond ETF in the United States. Do you think Vanguard shareholders shifting from using those mutual fund share class uh, funds into the ETF share class, do you think that's been one of the biggest drivers here? Because I, I do think it's interesting. You, you look at uh, BND and AGG, they both charge the exact same fee, three basis points. Uh, but I know you noted in your piece that uh, there was a $22 billion gap between those two. If you go back to March of 2020, I mean, that's a lot of ground to be made up for, for two ETFs that do the exact same thing. Do, do you think it's been that shifting from share classes that's been the biggest driver? Or are there other factors here? So I think that's one of the major factors. I do, however, think the fact that advisors and investors are getting more comfortable in using fixed income ETFs in their asset allocation strategies, and they might have taken a more risk-averse approach this year. So they, they were owning Vanguard equity ETFs. Uh, they boosted their exposure perhaps to, to Vanguard bond ETFs if they have an all-Vanguard model strategy, uh, either individually or advisors. And so that's just going to be a heavy lift of money going in and flowing in, uh, despite the fact that, yes, there are similarly priced alternatives, but if you're comfortable with one fund family, you tend to stay comfortable with that fund family. So I think that's playing a role, too. And just, you know, they aren't always the same price. They haven't always been the same price. And so we see fee competition going on. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's certainly something I know we're going to talk about what I'm watching for the rest of the year. I think this is something to watch in the next couple of days and, and then what milestone that happens to be. Yeah, and here's a, a fun fact I pulled for listeners. So uh, we, we just noted B&D and AGG right around $81, $82 billion. And those are both in the top 10 ETFs overall by assets. Now, of course, SPY, the S&P 500 ETF uh, from State Street is number one with over $360 billion. That's followed by the, the two S&P 500 ETFs from iShares and Vanguard, IVV and VOO. Then you have VTI, the Vanguard Total Stock Market ETF, and then the Invesco QQQ Trust. Those are the only five ETFs currently over $100 billion right now. It's just those five. But 
you know, I, I think as, as we see the uh, momentum behind B&D, that could certainly join the club in, in fairly short order. AGG will, will probably be there. Uh, and then the Vanguard value ETF that I noted before, VTV, that's actually knocking on the door. Uh, it's at about $97 billion. So I, I, I thought a nice little fun fact. Those are the, the ETFs that are uh, around that $100 billion mark. At Vanguard, clients are more than investors, they're owners. That means we always seek to focus on client objectives, aligning our goals with investor goals, and staying disciplined. Vanguard fixed income investors own low-cost products that reflect these priorities, which can enhance outcomes. That's the value of ownership. Visit Vanguard.com to obtain a fund prospectus or, if available, a summary prospectus which contains investment objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and other information. Read and consider carefully before investing. All investing is subject to risk. Fund shareholders own the funds which own Vanguard. Investments in bond funds are subject to interest rate, credit, and inflation risk. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. Um, Todd, just to, to wrap up this conversation around flows, are there any other ETFs outside of those top 10 or 11 that I gave that, that have caught your attention this year in terms of inflows? Or do you want to comment on the Vanguard Value ETF or the Schwab Dividend ETF I mentioned? I, I, any other thoughts around flows here? Well, I'll touch on two that are outside of the top 10. But yes, VTV and Schwab's Dividend ETF, that's impressive. It's a sign of the market that we're in where more defensive uh, dividend-paying Vanguard Value is a dividend-paying ETF, too even if dividend is not in the name. And, yeah, it, that's impressive that it's knocking on the door of $100 billion. The, the two I want to highlight, uh, one is, is probably going to be more familiar to the, the listeners, but J.P. Morgan's equity premium income ETF, JEPI, as it's known, J-E-P-I, has pulled in $6 billion uh, this year. It's now an $11 billion ETF. This is actively managed equity products. It's a, it's a way of getting income on top of your uh, traditional stocks. Uh, but the other one that I that really caught my eye when I saw how much money it pulled in, uh, I'll give you the ticker, BSCO. Bosco is how I would say it. I don't know that that's how they would say it. That's Invesco's Bullet Shares Corporate Bond 2024 ETF. And you're wondering, mm. why am I picking such an obscure ETF? Well, it's pulled in $1.5 billion and is now a $3.1 billion ETF. And as we've talked about bond ETFs and, and how they're gaining traction, this is a way to target your maturity towards just one individual year. Bond laddering is something advisors have been doing for years. It just it, it shocked me that this ETF has essentially doubled in size this year uh, as advisors and investors are being more targeted in their interest rate sensitivity to get corporate bond exposure. So Bosco is is an under the radar or not so under the radar ETF anymore. No, I, I like it. Digging deep here. But, you, you know, the bullet shares overall, those do make a lot of sense in, in this environment. I think you, they are probably getting a lot more looks, even though they're pretty popular to begin with. But you, you have a lineup of, of corporate bond, investment-grade corporate bond ETFs. There's a, a lineup of high-yield bond ETFs. And these all have target maturity dates. So in a rising rate environment, being able to ladder those out, uh, I, I think for a lot of advisors, that makes some sense. Um Todd, okay, so we're, we're just past the midway point of the year. And I, I'm curious, as you look back at these first seven months of 2022, give me your biggest ETF story thus far. And I think there's a, a decent list to choose from here. I can go uh, through some of those. But what would you put at the top of the list right now if you had to? So I, I'm assuming other than Vetify being formed and bringing ETF <laughs> commentary, data indexing, expertise together, that you, you're talking about actual products that have come to market and stories 
outside of your guests. Is that is that fair to yes, say? Yes, but I like you working in the Vetify angle. That's well done. Okay, well, well thanks. <laughs> uh, I guess not not so shameless plug. Um, and first of all, we, we appreciate continuing to be a, a, a part of, of your program on an ongoing basis. But so we, we touched on the tremendous flows. I think that's, again, that to me is the story of the year that we're seeing investors continue to gravitate towards ETFs on the day that the Fed uh, initially hiked, uh, surprisingly, well, not so surprisingly, but when they did their initial 75 basis point hike, we saw the record trading day for fixed income ETFs. I think we're going to talk about, so that, that would be my number one, but we've already covered it, and I'm going to reserve the right to add something else. We're going to talk about some of the new players and new entrants in the marketplace and new products, so I'm going to hold my fire on that one. And I'm going to go with the near shutdown of ETF investing in Russia. Um, mm, good one. The, 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 the Russia-Ukraine war uh, and invasion of Ukraine uh, is still ongoing, uh, but you know, we, we probably the listeners probably remember that Russia used to be a key part of emerging markets. There are ETFs that used to be called BRIC. There's still a style. We had single country ETFs like RSX and ERUS from VanEck and, and iShares. And they quickly went from being a highly speculative bet on the Russian recovery to being halted indefinitely. And I can recall going on CNBC as the volume in these ETFs was spiking and saying that people were not buying a discount to net asset value that they thought they were buying. They actually were buying a product that was going to be shut down. I only wish I was right uh, that those products were shut down because when an ETF is shut down, you get your money back. Um, that's not the case. Uh, there's money still locked up in these ETFs that are now worthless um, because the securities are not trading. The ETFs are not trading. So uh, ERUS and RSX uh, being a flash in the pan and then, and then essentially being worthless uh, is, is what I'll remember of the first half of 2022. I think that's a, you? Yeah, I think that's a story that definitely belongs at the top of the list, at, you know, at least top three or something like that. I'll, I'll give you a rundown of some other ones that I, that I thought through. So this isn't going to be a surprise to you or the listeners, but the SEC uh, continuing to deny a spot Bitcoin ETF and more importantly, I think the story here just being the the lawsuit uh, by Grayscale. And, and we can talk about that. I mean, I think that's certainly a story to watch moving forward as well. But I think the, the continued denial of a spot Bitcoin ETF, that remains a story. I think the first single stock ETFs launching, of course, that's recent here just in the last uh, week or so. But I think that's a big story. I think some of these uh, bigger name uh Asset managers finally entering ETFs. You think of like Capital Group, Newberger Berman, Matthews Asia, those sorts of names. Uh, I, I think that's a big story. You could probably make a case that, uh, and I know some people are a little fatigued on it, but that ARC and their challenges are a story this year. Of course, they just announced they're closing their first ETF, the ARC Transparency ETF. But I think that's another story that you know certainly the media continues to give a lot of run to and. Uh, given what ARC had done in 2020, um, I you know look that that's a that, that I, it is a big story when you look at uh, the performance challenges this year, and the fact even despite the performance challenges they're continuing to take in money, uh, and then two others that I'll give you the Finra proposal on more complex ETFs, uh, that's one to watch for sure, and then th this is more of a catch-all but it's one that from my perspective is getting a lot of attention this year just ESG ETFs I, I feel like. They're 
they've been put under much more of a microscope this year. I think the the Russia invasion invasion of Ukraine that that played a role there, but I, having energy outperform the tech sector, I think that that played a role in ESG ETFs coming uh, under the microscope. But you know that again, probably a story to watch moving forward. Anything there that uh, y- you want to expand on? Well, my goodness, you, you you have a few things that I was <laughs> I thought we were holding we were we were holding back for the the second half of the show. So let, let me let me tick through a couple of those. Yes, so single stock ETFs I think is is certainly the the hot topic right now. We had TSLQ among other of the Axis ETFs launch a couple of weeks ago. Trading in TSLQ has been really strong out of the gate. We're likely to have more of these. In fact, we already have more of these single stock related ETFs as you and I are recording this. Uh, Innovator launched uh, their first of these buffer ETFs that are tied to single stocks. TSLH offers downside protection. And I think there's other players that may be launching today or, or maybe launching later on this week. It's tough to know. Uh, I was doing my prep uh, for this. So that to me is, is a, is certainly a key story to be able to watch. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if we're going to, if you planned on us separately talking about the the best player to have launched in the ETF marketplace and, and the success, but Capital Group would be uh, my firm, and I think they they are a story uh, that we that is part of the first half of the year. They launched uh, five months ago. They have two point two billion dollars across their suite of products. They filed to offer more, and they're having broad success. Uh, their growth ETF CGGR and their dividend value ETF CGDV each have over $500 million. But what actually jumped out at me was their global and international ETFs, actively managed global and international equity ETFs, haven't had the same level of investor interest. Uh, so that's compelling. I think you and the listeners probably know I have an ongoing bet with Eric Valchunas, so that is one I'm going to watch uh, for the rest of the year. Um, I'm going to step over the landmine of, of whether or not uh, grayscale gets approved or not and and, and from a story because i really thought we were going to make it through an entire episode without the words bitcoin you should know uh, better and, than that <laughs> and i guess i guess i guess those that are drinking along with us later on today should have had uh should have had a drink if there isn't a drinking game tied to how often you you saying bitcoin on this podcast perhaps i've just started one um so th- those are those are two of the stories that i that you touched on that really caught my eye that i had aim to talk about it. I'm glad we, we got to, to spend a little bit more time on. Yeah. So just to be clear, though, your favorite new ETF issuer so far this year, you, the, the, the best new ETF entrant up to this point, you would put Capital Group at the top of that list. I would put Capital Group at the top of the list. But we, I guess it, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention some of the other large asset managers that have entered the marketplace uh, this year. So we saw Matthews Asia recently uh, do that. We saw uh, DoubleLine do that. Um, I'm going to drop a handful, of, forget some of the names that are tied to it. But yes, and I would put Bond Blocks as an honorable mention uh, in terms of the, the success uh, in deploying the products. And, and they've taken fixed income ETF investing that we talked about launched 20 years ago to the week uh, and taken it to a whole nother level with the more targeted exposure. No, I agree. Bond Blocks is one that's really interesting to me. So they launched their first ETFs in February I believe they're nearing about 300 million in assets already, 11 ETFs uh, on the market. But to your point, I think they fill 
a real uh, niche in that they offer this targeted high-yield bond exposure, really precise exposure to different sectors. They also do have an emerging market bond ETF. But I've said for years, Todd, that there is plenty of white space in fixed-income ETFs. And if I had to sit here and guess now, I think bond blocks develops a really strong and, and lasting presence in the space. They built out a really strong leadership team. And uh, again, I, I think they're approaching the space from a, a unique perspective. As a, an aside, I should note that I will have bond blocks on the podcast um, later this quarter. And then just w- one note that I'll make on Capital Group. You, you mentioned they're already over $2 billion in assets. To me, it just shows that for some of these legacy actively managed mutual fund companies, even if you're late, if you have a strong brand and you truly commit yourself to the ETF space, you can have success. You, you know, we've seen it with uh, DFA and we're now seeing it with Capital Group and, and some others. I, I really think it's just making a strong commitment here and not trying to straddle the line. You know, I think they, they're approaching the ETF space the right way. What makes Capital Group's new suite of actively managed ETFs different? It's powered by a company with a seasoned global team, a history of navigating ups and downs, and everything behind it. Give your portfolio active management at the core with our new ETFs. Explore what's behind our new active ETFs at capitalgroup.com ETFs. American Funds Distributors, Inc., member FINRA. Um, okay, I, I, I do want to get uh, to the remainder of the year. Before we do that, uh, let's come back to ETF launches. So you mentioned the single stock ETFs and offered some nice color there. I'm showing there have been a, about 225 new ETFs come to market, which, which, by the way, on the single stock ETFs, if we get a whole boatload of those launches, I mean, geez, we could be up to, uh, I don't know, 1,000 new ETF launches by the end of the year. But um, if, if you look year-to-date, Todd, give me maybe your two or three favorite new ETFs. Yeah, well, we, we touched on the single stock ETFs, TSLQ. So I would put that certainly uh, on that list. I'm going to count that in. Uh, and I, I just briefly alluded to double line. Um, but I'm going to put this as an under the radar ETF to watch that I'm really excited to launch. So the ticker is DCPE. Uh, that's the double line Schiller Cape U.S. Equities ETF. Now, there's a $6 billion mutual fund that DoubleLine has been running for years uh, that has performed admirably. Uh, in fact, I'll give you some stats on that in a second. But this is an ETF. It's not an ETF share class. It is a separate product that's tied to it. Uh, and the approach is relatively simple. It, it looks, it takes the CAPE methodology of, of valuing sectors. It owns four of the five most undervalued of those sectors through swaps removes the most undervalued or what they believe is a value trap and then adds on that that double line active fixed income they are one of the best and most well-known managers around this mutual fund has been around for for years it actually won it is the top performing the best performing large cap value mutual fund over a three-year period for five straight years not 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 in the top quartile the number one fund according to the the refinitive lipper uh database that's out there so this is just as this is an etf that i think will find a following and i think double line will have success with it uh as opposed to well it's a six million dollar mutual fund if they can get some of those investors that are embracing etfs 
Um, and then I, I would put the Nightshares uh, products uh, up there as well as just being novel. Uh, you know, we tend to think of the ETF trades uh, during the day tied to market trading during the day. These Nightshare ETFs uh, put that uh, put that on its head. And whether or not it's a great way of investing, I'll leave that to others to make that determination because there's not as much liquidity in their after hours. But I just love that the ETF vehicle has opened up all of these doors. And before I pause, I have to apologize if the listeners can hear. There's construction being done outside my apartment window. Not my apartment, not. Uh, but there's construction being done. I don't know if that can be heard, but I'm going to apologize uh, in advance. So hey, listeners get the again. full uh, unfiltered, unvarnished experience on ETF Prime. So uh, no, no shame in that, but I think your audio sounds good. I'll just make a quick note. I, I think I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but the Nightshares ETFs, as I look at all of the launches thus far this uh, so far this year, those are the ones that are most intriguing to me. And again, there's a Nightshares 500 ETF ticker NSPY, and then the Nightshares 2000 ETF ticker NIWM. So those are seeking to replicate the night performance of the S&P 500 in small caps, respectively. I just think, to your point, it's uh, this is an innovative approach. Now, whether or not it works performance-wise, we'll see. And and I, I looked here yesterday. You know, so far not great, uh, but it's early. Uh, but I'm just I'm intrigued to see a what the performance looks like, and then b if there is some some decent performance here, whether or not these are ETFs that especially advisors will actually put into client portfolios. I think that's a that's a question mark for sure. But if the performance is there, you know, will advisors have these nightshares ETFs on client statements? That's going to be interesting to watch. And then real quick, I, I have to note another shameless plug. You mentioned the the double line ETF. I'll have Double Line's Jeffrey Sherman on the podcast, not next week, but the uh, the following week. So we're going to go into detail on uh, on their new products. Todd, l- l- let's pivot here and, and look ahead to the remainder of 2022. It's, uh, it's going to be a fun and fast-paced next five months for ETFs, as it always is. And I, I guess first, I know you track ETF filings fairly closely, so ETFs potentially come into market. It, are are, are there any filings that you're keeping an eye on? Maybe an ETF or two that that has your attention that has not yet launched, but but probably will here in the next five months. So there's two that there's two that I think is worth high or highlighting. Uh, one is from Avantis. Uh, so the Avantis All Equity Markets ETF. Uh, I'm blanking. I don't know if they've included a ticker or not in it, but this is an ETF that's going to be a fund of funds ETF. Uh, for, for and it's going to own Avantis's own other ETFs. And, and just a reminder, Avantis launched their first ETFs three years ago, coming up in September. And collectively, those products have $11 billion. So we were talking about Capital Group and its success, and, and you mentioned dimensional funds and their success. Avantis, which is part of American Century, uh, is, is notable in what they've done. And, and it appears as if this is going to be an act when well, it, it is going to be an actively managed ETF where it seems as if they're going to rotate to where the best opportunities they see are within their respective ETF. So it'll allocate and tilt towards small value more in one period of time and perhaps large value in another. And I, I won't go through all the different sleeves of products that are there. Uh, now, let me get ahead of where you might go. Fund-to-fund ETFs tend to not be as successful um, because advisors like to do the allocation themselves. Investors don't fully appreciate 
the extra layer of expertise that they get, even though they're happy with it from a mutual fund standpoint. But I, I feel like Avantis is launching this because they know that there's investor demand for their cooking of their own, using their own ingredients. Uh, and so I, I, I'm excited to see what they can do. Uh, they continue to, to have success. So that's one of my two. I'll, I'll, I'll throw the second one in before uh, you comment. And this is going to be boring. So bear with me. But Schwab is going to be launching a municipal bond ETF. Uh, now, don't we already have municipal bond ETFs? How is that exciting? We do. Uh, MUB from iShares, VTEB uh, from Vanguard are success stories. They offer broad market exposure to the municipal bond space. But we're seeing investors gravitate towards muni bond ETFs uh, away from mutual funds and away from single securities. Uh, individual bonds. Schwab obviously has a broad uh, following, a broad investor base, both self-directed and advisors, and they are not afraid to, to lead on price. And so we could see the bar get reset again for uh, municipal bond ETF exposure, and then that could trigger or that likely will result in fees coming down overall. So uh, excited to see with this firm that doesn't launch that many ETFs, uh, how successful they are with with the municipal bond ETF. That, that's both these products should be coming out at the end of September based on the, the filing periods, although we'll see when they come out. All right, you are not going to believe this. I combed through all the filings as well, and the one that I picked was the uh, the Schwab municipal bond ETF, uh, which the ticker will wow. be SCMB. And to your point, you, you know, look, this is not the most exciting launch for sure, but any... Schwab ETF filing always catches my attention just because, as you were alluding to, Schwab has been so conservative with new launches. And I'm not sure if you recall, so at uh, Inside ETFs, I interviewed uh, Schwab's DJ Tierney. And you can go back and listen to this, but but he mentioned the fact that we might see a much more aggressive Schwab moving forward just in terms of new launches. And so I'm, I'm certainly eyeing this, this SCMB, but really Schwab as a whole just to see if they do become more aggressive. And you look, you know, Schwab is the fifth largest ETF issuer. They only have 27 ETFs. So I, I've said for a long time, I think they have the the room and, and the wherewithal to get much more aggressive in, in product launches. And so that, that's one of the reasons I flagged this. I'll make a quick comment on your Avantis uh, asset allocation ETF. I, I agree with you. You know, this is there are some really interesting products that are already on the market. Uh, a fund from Cambria comes to mind. Uh, I know Colin Roche has a product out there. And I think from an investor standpoint, these make a ton of sense. The problem is, is that advisors don't want their clients getting a statement that has one ETF on it or, you know, two ETFs. And some people may say, well, you know, that's the advisor, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to justify their fee. They're not doing their job, you know, so, you know, they're, 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 they're afraid to, to just have that show up in a client's mailbox. I, I guess I would counter that a little bit by saying that the best portfolio for an investor is one that they can stick with. And I can tell you firsthand that we've seen clients where, you know, I think seeing the, seeing the various uh, breakdown of, uh, of asset allocation, so, you know, being in, in large cap stocks and mid cap stocks and international, um, that helps them stick with a portfolio behaviorally. And, and that opens up a whole nother debate. But again, it comes down to what the in, end investor can stick with. And I'm telling you that there are people out there that if they get a statement that just has one ETF on it, 
and they may not understand all the various uh, drivers of performance behind that. They may not be able to stick with it, and so it doesn't work. And so I, again, from a from from what really works, I love these asset allocation ETFs. They're, they're they tend to be low cost. Uh, the rebalancing factor underneath the hood, they're fantastic. But it's whether or not an investor can actually stick with it. And I'm just telling you, there are a lot of investors that can't stick with with owning just one ETF in their portfolio or a couple of ETFs. Um, one other uh, ETF filing that I'll mention, which you'll get a chuckle out of, is this uh, God Bless America ETF filing. Did you see this? The uh, the ticker symbol YALL, Y-A-L-L. Yeah. So this is going to seek to hold companies that uh, avoid, quote, political activism, social agendas, and making public statements about political hot-button items unrelated to their business. A- any quick thoughts on that? Uh, well, we have some of these products. Uh, MAGA uh, is still out there, although I don't think it has very much in assets. Uh, God, and we've seen some other products that are trying to play off. Well, they're, they're, they're offering an investment theme tied against ESG and against companies being you know, the, the trend towards ESG. And I think that's what's great. Again, there's a choice. Investors may want that. Um, they haven't historically wanted that, whether or not it performs well, which will help it to gather assets. But uh, yeah, the ticker is certainly notable. Um, <laughs> I just don't know that there's uh, you and I are not going to agree on whether there's demand and whether the demand matches up to the supply of, of ESG ETFs. But I, I can say with equal confidence that there isn't enough demand for the growing supply of ETFs that are anti-ESG or uh, against people who are have, have have that that mindset to have their portfolios. So look, more products, uh, we'll cover it. Uh, I, I lo- I'd love to see it have success because that shows that there's demand for it. I just don't think there is. All right, Ty, let's close here with two or three ETF stories you're tracking for the remainder of the year. Now, look, we, I think we've just about covered it all. Like you, you really did bring your A game today. So I'm very pleased with that. But is there anything we haven't talked about yet that uh, as your attention or something that you think could become a pretty big story here these last five months of the year? Well, I, I dodged it initially, so let me come back to it. But dividend ETFs, this is uh, a, a major uh, success story. Uh, as we, we've seen, and when we do polls of advisors at Vetify, that they're looking for alternative forms of income. We talked about some of those covered call ETFs, but dividend ETFs uh, top the list. I think they've pulled in more than $40 billion uh, into this uh, smart beta category. Now, the Fed is likely to be aggressively raising interest rates on Wednesday. We are recording this on Tuesday uh, and set a path for what's to, what's to come. So that might slow down the demand if the, the yield becomes high enough up. Maybe people aren't as interested in, in dividend strategies. But I, we're going to have an impressive year overall. And I think that's, that's something to watch is what happens in the second half of the year. Uh, I guess watching the Fed is important to watch for the second half of the year. And then how does one of the go-to areas of, of the ETF market have success. And then again, uh, I'll squeeze in some additional comments before you, you respond to it. Um, we've talked about a lot of firms that have entered the market in 2022, but there's two that, uh, well, one that's going to re-enter, I believe, the market, and then one that is going to enter the market. But uh, so Morgan Stanley is coming with its first ETFs, we believe, by the end of the year. And, and Tony Rockby uh, is an industry heavyweight. I know uh, you know of his, his success, both at Fidelity uh, and, and State Street. Uh, 
there's room for them to be able to grow and have success with what is probably going to be active management strategies. And then Alliance Bernstein uh, is, is going to be, I think, another player within the ETF marketplace. They, they took a stab at ETFs, um, or they, they yeah, Bernstein did, not Alliance Bernstein, but Bernstein did uh, in the past. Noel Archard, again, uh, heavyweight uh, in the ETF industry from State Street, is now leading that effort. I think these two firms and the teams they're building out are going to catch our attention um, with what they're doing. And as Capital Group and others have, have shown, there is room for active managers that have a strong brand uh, to have success within the ETF marketplace if they're able to tell their story and get the word out there and break through. I think they'll be able to, or at least I think they're going to put their best foot uh, forward to do so. And so I'm excited to see what's coming from these two firms. Yeah, I love that you brought up the Morgan Stanley uh, entering ETF story. That's one that, I mean, I've had on my radar, but I wasn't thinking about for today's podcast. And as I think about Morgan Stanley, look, I mean, they have, you talk about a, a firm that has built-in distribution, look no further than Morgan Stanley with their advisor network and uh, you know model portfolios and everything else. I think they're going to be a huge player in ETFs, and I'll go on the record saying right now, I mean, I think they're going to have the type of success that we've seen from firms like Goldman Sachs and, and J.P. Morgan in the ETF space. I, I think they're going to be a, a, a really impressive new entrant. Um, I'll, I'll give you a couple quick stories here, which won't surprise anyone that, that I'm tracking. I think, you know, it's tough to talk about ETFs this year without talking about the financial markets, to, to your point, Todd, and, and the Fed. And I think that's going to be fascinating to continue to watch here the remainder of the year, just what happens in the financial markets and their impact on ETFs. And as we noted earlier, I, I think this is going to be a great year for ETFs overall, but just to see where investors allocate and how they react to, to, to what we see out of the Fed and, and, and what we see from inflation and everything else, that's going to be a fascinating story to watch. And then, of course, the other two are the two that I mentioned earlier. I, I'm just so interested in watching this grayscale lawsuit and seeing how that plays out. Uh, I saw a headline last night that it looks like the SEC is now looking into to Coinbase. There was a, a long statement, lengthy statement put out today from the CFTC, uh, one of the individuals with the CFTC. It looks like there's a little bit of a land grab there in terms of who regulates crypto. Is it the CFTC or is it the SEC? And I think all of this, it's playing into the same story. It gets back, it gets back to the whole regulatory backdrop of crypto and and that's gonna then play into the grayscale lawsuit. So I'm I'm interested in watching that. And then I just, these single stock ETFs, even though I think that the vast majority of investors shouldn't touch these things with a 10-foot pole, um, it's, we're, we're going to see just a boatload of these come to market. And uh, I'm interested to see how many launch uh, and the, the different uh, you know, types of products that we see launch. You mentioned the innovator product that, that came out, which that's a little bit different. And when I say investors shouldn't touch these products, right, that's, that's more risk managed. But there's going to be so many different types of these uh, single stock ETFs launch. It's going to be uh, really interesting to, to see the demand from the marketplace and, uh, and just how these things do. So those are, those are the two that are really on my, uh, my radar. Any, any closing thoughts, Todd? I, I think it's been an amazing year thus far in the ETF space. I'm, I'm excited to be part of the Vetified team. I joined earlier this year. Actually, I joined ETF Trends that became Vetify and all the, the smart people that are around us. And I'm excited that I have a front row seat to, to help talk about these, these stories uh, for the next five months and look forward to being back with you. 
Well, Todd, this was a lot of fun. Uh, Around the world of ETFs with Todd Rosenbluth. That's what I'm going to call the uh, call this pod. That's going to be the title. But uh, go grab a beer this afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Thanks a lot. That was Todd Rosenbluth, head of research at Vetified. That'll do it for this week's ETF Prime. I want to thank one of our sponsors, Goldman Sachs Asset Management. If you would like to learn more about Goldman Sachs Asset Management's ETFs, you can visit gsam.com slash ETFs. Next week, I'll be joined by FactSet's Elizabeth Kashner, another person who I would absolutely place in the uh, pantheon of ETF nerds. We're going to discuss the ETF fee landscape, and I also want to get her take on some of the biggest trends in ETFs right now, so certainly look forward to that. Until then, have a great week, everyone.